welcome listeners to episode 14 of Snippet Sports Science Podcast. This is Jared Coleman Stark, today with Chris Gavilio. We've gone enough episodes now that we've gone back and looked at the responses to each of the episodes and tried to determine what's been of most interest to our listener. And from now on, we're going to be trying to develop the podcast in response to how our listeners use the podcast. One of the things we found is that the audience seems to like hypoxic training and blood flow restriction training. So we're going to be focusing on those a little bit. We found an article that looks at both blood flow restriction training and hypoxia called Hypoxia and Resistance Exercise, a Comparison of Localized and Systemic Methods. So this article was uh, done by Scott Attell uh, through the University of Newcastle in Australia. It's a really nice collection of different studies put together looking at how the response is towards resistance exercise. Traditionally, we know with resistance exercise, we need loads of 60 to 80% of 1RM. Literature states the advantage of BFR is that at low loads, as low as 20% of 1RM, you can actually get improvements in strength and hypertrophy, obviously protocol specific. The advantage of this, as you realize, with high load lifting at 60 to 80% of 1RM is at high mechanical stresses, whereas in the BFR, it increases the metabolic stress within the body and the response actually equals in the improvements in the strength and the hypertrophy. However, like any sort of technique, there are limitations to blood flow restriction training. The largest limitation is that the cuff is applied to the limb, and so we find most of the effects are limited to the limb that is being occluded. An idea that some have had is that we can apply systemic hypoxia to the athlete rather than the localized hypoxia blood flow restriction training, and we'll be able to get more systemic effects in athletes. So I think it's really fair to compare the two. So you have a localized using a tourniquet or a cuff and also systemic using a chamber. Obviously, the reality of it is that some athletes just don't have access to chambers, but I think it's really fair to compare the two together to actually see truly which one comes out on top. So initially, when we just look at resistance exercise with BFR, there's lots of ways that we can do it. As you can see, lots of information on the internet using tourniquets, inflatable cuffs, elastic knee wraps. And traditionally, that's done at the proximal end of a limb to occlude the distal blood flow. Therefore, this induces a localized hypoxic environment during exercise. When you look at research, anything from pressures from 75 through to 220 mils of mercury have been utilized as a pressure to induce this localized hypoxic environment. And our opinion is it's using the pneumatic inflatable cuffs. That's by far the best way to be applying the blood flow restriction stimulus. If you're using something like elastic knee wraps, you don't know what actual pressure you're applying. Similar to the way that you would lift, it's pretty rare to just go out and pick up random logs and stones of unknown weights and be trying to get a progressive overload using that sort of stimulus. Whereas with the pneumatic inflatable cuffs, you have a pressure gauge that tells you exactly what pressure you've gone. It's important both for that progressive overload and also to be ensuring that you're being a safe athlete. There's also numerous factors which can affect the acute response to BFR exercise. And this is the same in normal resistance exercise as well. And these include obviously the pressure, the cuff location, the width and the type of cuff, the exercise intensity, volume, the interset rest periods, as well as the frequency and duration of the training. So always when we're reading articles, it's important to be uh, to, to put your thinking hat on and, and be a little bit objective towards the different protocols and really tease that out to see if you want to employ it into your training environment. And a lot of those factors have been investigated much more thoroughly in other articles where we've sort of 
made a determination on how do we want to be applying each of those factors. For example, we like to go at 50 to 80 percent arterial occlusion pressure using Wolnicki's equation to determine that. Yeah, and I think it's possibly the most scientific method while still being the most simplest method. You, you need to have, as a strength and conditioning coach, you need to have a level of science behind the pressures that you actually give to your athletes. I think that also gives them a level of safety and reassurance that you're doing the best you can with what equipment you have available. So blood flow restriction training is very little evidence for as little as two weeks of training and as low as 20% one repetition maximum. We're finding that these benefits are on the back of greater accumulation of metabolites, but also potentially greater increases in anabolic hormones, intramuscular signaling, intracellular swelling, and motor unit recruitment. On the back of these, we find a lot of adaptive and perceptual responses. Can you tell us a little bit about the morphological adaptations? One of the main areas here is just the increase in muscle cross-sectional area following BFR training. So for example, there's some studies that 16 weeks of low intensity elbow flexion training at twice per week. So that's actually easy to do, just two sessions. So BFR elicited greater increases in muscle cross-sectional area in older women than low intensity training alone. So just hear already that although we tend to look at papers aimed more towards elite athletes, BFR is actually fantastic in the older populations as well. And that's actually quite important to highlight. Right. And a really interesting thing with older populations is that those sarcopenic responses are usually degradation of type 2 fibers, whereas the type 1 fibers are usually largely retained. And one thing that we found in other studies with blood flow restriction training is that blood flow restriction training can actually increase type 1 size. So some of those cross-sectional area increases could be due to the type 1 fiber development as well as the type 2 fiber development. Yeah, definitely. And as we know, we need intensity in training to actually elicit those type 2 fiber recruitment patterns. And in aging populations, you just can't get that because they're older athletes um, or just older population. So it's quite a nice mechanism to do that. And look, other studies as well has looked at BFR has resulted in greater hypertrophy uh, than in control groups and track and field athletes, American football players. So in the elite athlete population and in elite population, highlighting this fact has high importance because as you realize that elite athletes, they have a high level of muscular adaption to resistance training. Therefore, it's A, it's very hard to get improvements in strength and or size. And secondly, low intensity resistance training would traditionally produce no response at all for these athletes. So you have elite athletes who can't get much gains because they basically squeeze as much juice out of the grape as we have. And here we are providing a new stimulus, which is low intensity, and they're actually able to still produce gains. And so moving into increases in muscular strength, several authors have found increases in peak torque and also the rate of torque development. So not just how strong an athlete is, but how quickly they can get to their maximum strength. This is likely to be on the back of increased muscle fiber recruitment and neural drive as seen by electromyography. And so normally these neural adaptations are probably the ones that we see in the early stages of strength development. So once again, in well-trained athletes to continually improve the neural drive of a muscle fiber, great implications to application in the elite training environment. Right, and Scott and colleagues don't approach it in this article, but they've also found that there's sort of an inverse relationship in the training response for blood flow restriction training compared to traditional training. 
Whereas in traditional training, the athlete will first increase that, that neural strength and then be growing muscle size. Whereas in blood flow restriction training, there's growth almost immediately from when they start training. And so when we're talking about resistance exercise and elite athletes, we traditionally talk about really high loads, low repetitions. There's been another study that where they did 50 repeated submaximal contractions, and they actually found they had significant increases in maximal isometric strength and muscular endurance. So once again, something here for the endurance-based athletes as well. And they seem to believe that the increase in the muscular endurance may reflect the intramuscular metabolic adaptations, such as increases in oxidative energy metabolism and hydrogen buffering. So rather than the increased neural fatigue resistance. So once again, calling on possibly a different mechanism to the adaptation in these type of athletes. Moving into perceptual responses, our two big ones here are the rate of perceived exertion, how hard the athlete feels they're working, and just perceived pain. So typically, the RP, rating perceived exertion, is pretty much similar to exercise without VFR. It doesn't really make you feel more exerted, whereas there can be increased perceived pain, although there can be similar or greater perceived pain. And as a user myself, and probably you can chime in here as well, uh, Jared, that using it at the time, yeah, it's, it's a really tough session. Once you release the pressure and you have them off, pretty much you forgot that you've had the cuffs on. So it's actually quite a nice response. Interesting they talk about perceptual responses and it'd be interesting to see later in the article if they actually go with longitudinal perceptual responses in respect to pain in particular because there's actually some articles out there around the analgesic effect of BFR around joints and tendons and I've had a lot of users as well that have actually commented that they actually have relief from different types of joint and tendon pain post-using and one user for example who now has two new knees at the time he would said a he could never squat pain free and he would always have pain post for 24 hours once he started using the uh, bfr cuffs he had no pain during the session but more importantly 24 hours of relief which i think is really important for athletes or just users who want pain-free exercise right exactly that that uh, acute perceived pain is very much just while you're actually wearing the cuffs and exercising. So it, it, I would say it's very strongly related to the burn. Correct, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, the pain is the burn. Uh, whereas as soon as you release it, it's, it's almost a little euphoric sort of effect, or you feel quite good. That's yeah, a great explanation. Yeah. And chronically, it massively decreases pain, certainly, my experience. So here we've just given a nice basic overview around adaptations, the increases in muscular strength, and perhaps the, the perceptual responses or what you feel whilst using the cuff. So it gives you that real solid fundamental understanding of what occlusion training or BFR training can do for you. All right, that's all for part one of our coverage for the review article, Hypoxia and Resistance Exercise, a comparison of localized and systemic methods. This part has looked at the adaptive and perceptual responses to BFR training. This will be a five-part segment on the review article. Next week, in part two, we will look at the potential mechanisms of BFR for hypertrophy and strength. In part three, we will summarize the current understanding of physiological responses and look at practical applications and limitations of blood flow restriction training. In part four, we will introduce intermittent hypoxic resistance training and then conclude in part five with a comparison between blood flow restriction training and intermittent hypoxic resistance training. Thank you. Please visit our website at snippetscience.com. That's S-N-I-P-P-I-T science.com. And 
follow us on Twitter at Snippet Time.